Accomplishment Coaching is proud to present the following fine programming. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. AccomplishmentCoaching.com. Welcome to The Coaching Show with your host, Master Certified Coach, Christopher McCollum. Well, thank you, Dick Warren, and that is the lovely voice of Dick Warren. My name is Christopher McAuliffe, Master Certified Coach, because that's how we say it around here. Uh, today, rejoined again uh, in our non-studio by Alex Terranova, safely ensconced in our various home. Alex, I, I brought a hat today. I was thinking about celebrating the, the waning days of summer by wearing a hat. What do you think? <laughs> um. <laughs> Are you no, I mean, I can, I can see you. So, I mean, I feel like, I don't know, you're like undercover or we're in like a movie in Panama. I don't know if it, if, if it I like it. I mean, it's a good look if you were, you know, out. Peacocking. Look it up. It was from the 90s. Um, yeah, I know. I, oh, I, I feel like every, every man of a certain age should have like some signature something, right? You know, you, you should have something. You should have, you should wear a hat. You should wear, I don't know, spurs or a cod piece. Or, there should be something. That is your own. Yeah. Uh, do you do you have anything like that? Do you have something like I always wear this, or this is my like sort of signature? I mean, I have a chain I always wear. I have rings I wear. There's a lot of things happening over here that I wear. You know, you remember you tried to get I'm me dist- to take a lot of these things off. I'm uh, disturbed because I can't see any of those things, so it worries me where you may be wearing them. All right, yeah. uh, let's let's talk uh, about that. Would be Alex Terranova, PCC, professional certified coach. He's founder of the dream Mason. You can find him on the dreammason.com or at the dream Mason podcast, or you can find him at a book signing for his book, fictional authenticity. Uh, how are you? What do you, anything you want to say? <laughs> I'm doing well. I like when you start this episode, it's almost like you're surprised that I'm here every time. It's like new every time. <laughs> I think we should, we need to look back. I'm, I'm curious when our like one year anniversary is. We should celebrate. You should buy me something. Um, I think we've probably been doing this for at least a year now. At least. I, it feels like longer, but I don't yeah. mean that in a bad way. Me and your wife have that in common. We have secret conversations on the side about you. <laughs> I assume that there are meetings. I, I've never attended one, but I assume that there are Anything that you want to share with the class about your life or time? I do not. No, I don't have anything special that I need to share with the class. I wish. I love when I get to come on here and share something vulnerable about my own practice or about my life. But no, nothing that, Nothing today that I want to share. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to let you down this time. <laughs> it's not a letdown at all. I just want to make sure that you've got plenty of time and space and that you know that I'm listening. Uh, we are both professional coaches. How's your business? Anything, anything going on these days in your business? Are you noticing a COVID spike or a COVID dip? My business is, my business is fantastic. And it's been this year, it's gotten just better than it was last year and better than it was the year before. And I think one of the nice things is it's not because of COVID. I don't have people hiring me like in a panic, like, Oh my God, how can you save my business? I have a lot of people that are just hiring me because they're, you know, they've hit peaks and they're ready to go to that next peak and they've been at that place for a while. I've actually had a lot of people hire me this year that were people that have been kind of watching me from the sidelines for a long time. They listen to my podcast, they read my book, they see me in networking, and finally they decided now is the time. Um, which is really exciting to be at that place where I don't feel like I'm having to like scavenger hunt for clients. Like it feels like I've gotten 
to that place where clients show up, I get referrals, you know, the networking process pays its dividends. Um, I actually, if I'm, if there's something new going on in that area, I decided recently that I wanted to open up two slots to people that necessarily couldn't afford my full rate. Oh, and yeah, access. It was actually a really tough decision because I had this thing of, of like my worth and money and am I just like lowering the bar for somebody instead of asking them to, you know, play a bigger game. And I had to have, I had to kind of hash it out with a few people to see where I was coming from. And then of course I decided, you know what, I'm going to do this. And a, and a gentleman shows up who has some pretty extraordinary circumstances. Um, and I was like, this is the guy, this is the guy to offer this opportunity to. Um, and so that actually happened yesterday. So I'm supposed to hear back from him today and uh, I'm pretty sure it'll go through, but it was like, it felt really good to say, Hey, I want to work with you and I'm willing to work with you at like where you are in your journey. Really great. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, do you feel like he needs a hat? <laughs> I think he might be too young for the hat unless we're in right. Panama. Uh, right, okay. You know, you did say something, you did say something on the last episode that actually helped me with this conversation. Um, you said something that I wrote down you said oftentimes, and I'm not paraphrasing this, but you said oftentimes we set out like the standards of how we do our work and we try to, the clients fit into that. But then you said that something that you'd been doing or you'd heard, I don't remember, but basically it was that asking people how they see it going for themselves, like what the coaching relationship would look like from their perspective, from the client's perspective and seeing what they present. And i I uh, have done that over just the last, I happen to have like four sample sessions over the last week and I've done that with each of them. And it was really interesting to see how they presented what they thought they needed or how the conversation unraveled versus, hey, this is what I do. Here are your three options, pick something like that. So thanks for that last week. Thanks for the reminder. I noticed that this week I've been really impatient with all my, I got some stuff going on, not that you asked. Uh, and, uh, and so I've been really impatient with my clients this week and I've been driving more than ever. You know, usually it's like, whatever you want to talk about. And I'm like, listen, this is the third time I've talked to you about this, you know, so uh, I'll let you know if I have any clients again next week. Um, you want me to call any of them for you? <laughs> I feel like we all know who the problem is here and it's not my clients. Uh, let's, let's get to our uh, guest. I'm so excited to have her here, an extraordinary human uh, that I, became aware of when she spoke recently at this year's Association of Coach Training Organizations conference, the ACTO conference. Uh, Dr. Akiko Maker is a PhD. She's a principal and founding owner at Interculturalist LLC. She's an executive coach and a faculty member of the Intercultural Development Inventory, the IDI qualifying seminar, which certifies IDI, that's Intercultural Development Inventory, administrators. She's also an Emotional Intelligence and Diversity Institute certified trainer. She holds a PhD from the University of Minnesota, where she lives in Minnesota, United States with her husband and two, wait for it, teenage sons, two teenage sons at the same time, born and raised in Japan. Please welcome to our microphone, Dr. Akiko Banker. Hello. Hello, Christopher. Thank you so much for the introduction and thank you for having me. Thanks for being had, as we like to say. Um, in the in the conversation that you started, first of all, what a time to be an interculturalist, right? There's there's a lot of attention all of a sudden, and perhaps more than in decades, on cultural differences. A lot 
leaning towards the anti-racism movements or the great, great leaps forward in civil rights and awareness, cultural awareness in America. Can you distinguish for us the intercultural awareness from some of the, you know, Black Lives Matter and anti-racism work or attention that's appearing uh, across at least this country? Mm. Wow. We start with that question, Christopher. That's amazing. Um, we started we start at the deep end and then we work our yeah, way. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Thank you for that question. Um, you know, you brought up right away, you know, the current uh, really intense focus on uh, everyone, you know, many of us wanting to really work on ending racism in the, in this country, uh, meaning in the U.S. that we are both in. Um, that is a topic or s- social issue that I have been uh, for a long time interested in uh, contributing to solving. I mean, along with other issues too, but it's, you know, taking racism as an example, you know, that's an important uh, social issue that many of us are wanting to uh, improve the situation and solve and move forward to our more positive place. So that's a topic or issue-based conversation that we all are having right now, especially in the last couple of months. Um, it's been a very, very proactive um, kind of movement to talk about that. That being said, how does this topic of intercultural competence development or intercultural learning uh, comes into that is Intercultural development is the how of how we can approach this societal issue. Because this issue is important, but frankly speaking, what hasn't it been solved yet? It's been centuries, <laughs> not just decades, it's been centuries we, that we have injustice in society, not only racial, I mean, very much racial uh, uh, in this country, but not just that. You know, a lot of different um, kinds of social justice that we witness that haven't been solved for a long time. So we have to approach it, approach it in a different way, in a new way. So what I always say is that we have to approach it in a developmental way, not to point fingers at people who may have caused it or may seem to have been responsible for instead of pointing our fingers at those that seem to be at fault, we want to come together and unite in learning and development so that we can grow our capacity, each one of us, we can grow our capacity to see the issue, this important issue in a new angle, in a more productive and developmentally effective angle. So that's kind of how I bring intercultural learning and development perspective into uh, societal injustice issues that we see right now. You you posed in there almost a question or two, like how has it gone on so long? And I'm curious from your perspective, you know, as a as a as a researcher um, and as somebody who works with professionals and and companies and whatnot. um, What's your take on that? When when I hear that, the first thing I thought of, well, well, of course it's gone on so long because you have half a country or a, a you know 40% whatever that actually doesn't see a problem mm. that doesn't believe a problem exists mm. how do we how do we even change something or solve something when a large percentage because i don't right i'm making up i don't know the exact but a large percentage of the country 
doesn't want to look at it, doesn't want to see it, or completely denies that it exists altogether? Wow. <laughs> That's your second question to me? Oh I, I mean, you guys loaded it. What is, what is guys, this lo- podcast? <laughs> you guys loaded it up here, and I'm just, I'm just rolling with it. <laughs> um, it's Alex, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, you guessed 40%. Let me give you some number here for us to sort of... I guess, uh, wrestle with. I don't know if it's 40% or not that uh, of the population that do not care about the problem or do not care to solve or try to avoid. But here is one number I can give you. From the perspective of uh, intercultural development, this is, uh, when I say this, I'm talking from the perspective of intercultural development continuum framework, which is a theoretical framework that I use in my research and practice both, uh, based on uh, um, this tool, the assessment tool that Christopher introduced in my introduction called the IDEA, Intercultural Development Inventory. So from that perspective, you know, we are looking at people's developmental process in terms of their uh, capacity to acknowledge cultural diversity or more like human diversity and uh, navigate and bridge across differences. When we are thinking about this idea of intercultural competence, now I'm using this developmental lens to say that this intercultural competence is not something that you know you have or you don't have. You know, it's something that everybody has at some capacity at any given time, and over time it develops. Right, so that's the idea of intercultural development, and when we think about that from this lens, seventy percent, seventy percent of the population, in very in a very general sense, falls within the uh, orientation, intercultural competence orientation called minimization. This is the middle middle orientation uh, within a five-stage model. So intercultural development goes through uh, these five stages or five orientations is what we call them. So the middle part is called minimization, and 70% of the population falls within that. And the characteristic of this minimization orientation, or another way to think about it is minimization worldview, the way you view the world, is through the lens of human commonality. So, you know, say, hey, you know, all of us on this call are living in the U.S., America number one, you know, whatever, right? So, and then we are all coaches, so we have this great, a great commonality we can you know, connect uh, each other with each other with. So whatever the commonality may be, the strength of minimization orientation is that we can uh, acknowledge the commonality or sometimes discover, you know, investigate and discover some commonalities and use those to be able to connect with each other or build rapport with each other or sometimes even empathize with each other. So 70% of the population operate within that framework or that mindset. Then there, along with those strengths, there are these other side to this mindset as well, which is that because you are focusing currently developmentally on finding commonality, you end up almost unintentionally missing 
some important differences that exist among people. Most of the time, you are not even aware that you are missing them. You're well intended because you are using the commonality to connect, but you are still missing to see some important differences that may be calling for attention. So. Like you said, Alex, you, you know, people may not be proactively wanting to avoid the social problem. That will be probably earlier stages than minimization. But 70% who are operating in minimization may not be actually noticing or seeing or minimally not actively seeing those human variations that are calling for attention. It's, it's, it, it's, it's the nature of this orientation where 70% of us fall. So I just want to know, I want to like know if I feel like I heard like got what you were saying, which it sounds like 70% of us are highly biased to only see what we're familiar with. You can say that. In a very simple, I I simplified it very much. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Very, very well intended though. That's the, that's the interesting part of it. You know, we want to connect as people. We want to connect as fellow coaches. We want to connect as fellow U.S. Americans, right? Well-intended and peace-seeking almost kind of place. But yes, we are all biased. And the bias that comes out in minimization is that you project, for example, what is normal to others because you want to see others to be the same as us, right? Wow. I don't know if that gives me like like some some like peace like hey this is kind of just a def- uh, part of how we are constructed right you can't be like the model is built like this this is how it is or makes me sad that how much not just how much work there is but it's not just work on like a racial front or anything it's a work on like the whole the system if we were like a computer program it's like we need to rebuild the, the whole system. Yeah. Well, if you think about it, yes, sometimes it does feel overwhelming. Uh, trust me, I have those days. <laughs> you know, oh my gosh, there's so much work to do and I completely get overwhelmed. Um, and you said something really intriguing too. Uh, you uh, uh, compared what I said to, you know, computer system. And it's really interesting uh, that you said that because um, there is an, in, uh, very well known uh, sort of a way of describing culture, the idea of culture, you know, like in, in a cultural confidence, right? So what do we mean by culture? And then the, there is a, a quote by a, a famous scholar uh, called uh, Hofstede. He, he uh, described culture to be the software of the mind, collective software of the mind. So it is really, you know, our brain is the hardware, right? But we have this mindset, culture in, in us installed like software. But the thing about software is we can upgrade, upgrade. we can renew, you know, we can uh, improve, right? So that's the intentionality of this inner cultural development work that I, I'm advocating for. Christopher, are you, are you, are you still here? Are you, are you yeah, I keep waiting for the what seems. I mean, I'll like keep the, I'll keep going. You can you can log <laughs> off. What seems like the obvious question to me, Alex, is I want to go back to the model. I love me some models, 
the models of the intercultural development, I think you said orientations or stages, and you said there were five, and we know about one, which is the one in the middle, 70% of the people, minimization, right? Looking from a positive place at commonalities. Will you share the others with us? Of course. Thanks for asking that. Um, yes, the uh, five-step model that I'm talking about is called the Intercultural Development Continuum, or IDC. And the first orientation where all humanity begins, really, is called denial. And it, the name is the name sounds kind of negative, but that's really just a uh, just a word. Um, In my family, denial has never been considered negative. Go ahead. <laughs> Good, because I, we don't mean negative. It's just the terminology in the theory. Uh, denial is not a place where you are you know, actively denying people or anything like that. It's a place of inexperienced. So, you know, we're born in this world and, you know, we begin our life not thinking about cultural diversity, right? <laughs> we're thinking about ourselves, me. So we're in this, you know, limited space to begin our life where we're not really thinking about others or, you know, differences or how I need to think about other people. Uh, that's where we start. So when you have limited exposure or limited interactions with outside world or different others, then you develop and stay in this orientation or worldview called denial, where you know you are not used to thinking about diversity. So if we, if I strike up a conversation about okay, let's talk about diversity in the un United States, you know, if you are coming to that conversation from denial, you might say something like, "Oh yeah, I've heard of that term, diversity. That's a kind of a popular word now, but I never thought about it. What do you mean by that?" You know, so it's really a naive kind of place. Then some of us, not all, but some of us, as we grow, begin to develop into the second orientation, uh, which is called polarization. That's a place where you begin to see contrasts. You begin to acknowledge that somebody else in front of you is coming from different backgrounds or different life experiences, and this person is a member of cultural groups, one or more groups. So you begin in the polarization, you begin to see the fact that this thing called culture in a very, very general sense, you know, backgrounds, uh, environments. So culture has an effect on us, on people. And because you are a member of a group or groups, you have that software installed. Right, so you see the contrast between us and them, my group and those people's groups. So you see contrast and polarize. So because you are focusing on seeing that uh, contrast in this polarization process, you focus in on that and divide the difference between this group and that group, you don't have a lot of gray zone, you know, it's black and white, no, not much gray. And when that happens, what our brain naturally does is that it brings up this urge to want to know which way is better. Is my way better or your way better? Is my group's way uh, more effective or those people's way? So there comes this judgment, and often negative judgment, 
and also over criticism placed on one side or the other, which creates this, these two types of polarization. One type is called a defense, defense type of polarization, where you are defending your own way or your group's way. So, you know, Japanese people live well. So you Americans, you should be more like us. That will be defending my Japanese way. So that's a defense type of polarization. Sometimes it's reversed and it's called reversal. I may have grown up in Japan, but I now live in the U.S. for many, many years now. Let's say I've fallen in love with the U.S. culture. So we should all live like all of us in, US, in the United States live. Japanese people, they have no idea. They're backwards. So I'm placing over-criticism of, on my own group while I fantasize the other, the U.S. That's re a reversal type of polarization, for example. Then after we see, uh, we develop our skill to see contrast in people through the process of uh, polarization. Some of us then develop into minimization, the orientation I talked about first. Because when we go through polarization, we're constantly comparing different groups and different people and judging. So it makes it kind of harsh, doesn't it? It's not a pleasant place. So some of us begin to explore, there must be a different way to see the world. There must be a better way to see the world. And we come to this new enlightened conclusion. Well, people, if we just put those difficult differences aside, we're all people. We can connect at the core because we're all human beings. We all eat. We all sleep. We all want love, don't we? So we begin to explore human commonality in the process of com uh, minimization to connect with each other. That's a new way of seeing the world and new way of seeing people. And then, like I said, many of us stay there because it's an, it's an easy, easier place to be in. As long as I say, Christopher, I see you as a fellow human being. I don't see color. I don't care where you come from. Let's be friends then it's, that sounds really comfortable. So 70% of us stay there. And including denial and polarization, the two earlier stages, which consists, you know, about 15% uh, of the population, together, 85% of us stay within the first three stages or orientations of this developmental model. And the latter two are called acceptance, and adaptation and acceptance is where you truly see have a balanced view of cultural difference human difference and commonality and when you begin to pay attention to both that's a really uh, a significant commitment to engage in uh, human complexity or societal complexity because you're paying attention to differences as well as commonalities to navigate uh, your life. So acceptance is a really a nuanced, highly uh, uh, aware place of cultural human diversity. But interestingly, in acceptance, you have this really high awareness and respect and value for diversity. But if you are to be asked such questions as, so 
Now you you say you're aware of the diverse talents around you. What are you exactly doing in your management or in your practice to reflect that awareness? Then you go, um, exactly what I'm doing. I'm not sure how I am how I am applying and utilizing my awareness in what I do. And then in the uh, fifth orientation of adaptation, that is where you become resourceful and creative and courageous and patient enough to actually apply your awareness to everything you do, your actions, behavior, attitude, uh, the way you make decisions, where you communicate, um, that's adaptation. There, you have all five orientations. Tired of presentations with no impact, no inspiration, and no traction? Do dull speakers have you and your team disengaged and distracted by smartphones? Christopher McAuliffe brings energy, insights, and two decades of experience delivered with punch, humor, and heart. Your team will leave energized, uplifted, and with a sense of purpose. Visit ChristopherMcAuliffe.com to bring some heat to your next speaking engagement. M-C-A-U-L-I-F-F-E. ChristopherMcAuliffe.com. Are you seeking to change your career to something that is both fulfilling and challenging? Do you want to help people reach their full potential and strive to achieve their dreams? Would you like to inspire those around you and help create a better world? If you're serious about a career change or just want to explore the craft of personal coaching, contact Accomplishment Coaching with locations across the country in Washington, D.C., Seattle, Chicago, New York City, and San Diego. Accomplishment Coaching is the leading institution in personal coaching. Our staff carefully monitors the entire program live during the training process and have met the strict standards of ICF International to achieve accreditation. Through a focus on quality instruction rather than endless modules of training, Accomplishment Coaching will guide you from your very first step all the way to becoming one of the finest coaches in the world. Visit AccomplishmentCoaching.com to learn more. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. Christopher McAuliffe is your source for the latest in the world of personal coaching. Whether it be speaking with such luminaries as Deepak Chopra or getting the newest techniques and innovation, The Coaching Show is always on the cutting edge of what's happening now. The Coaching Show is brought to you by Accomplishment Coaching, home of the world's finest coach training program. Here is Christopher McAuliffe, Master Certified Coach. What do you I think? Really, I love it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just say it back to, well, you, but really for Alex to, to make sure that we both got it. So we start, and this is how those of us with children, for example, know that kids don't don't see very much difference. You know, when uh, I, I think we're all a little bit taken aback when our kids describe the other kid by, you know, the one with the the long hair, right? And we're thinking, well, there's 27 other things I would have said before that, right? But, okay, the one with long hair, right? So it's sort of a naive place. It's a place of inexperience where we're just hanging out in life. And then there's polarization. And Alex, this is when you find out, you're walking through life, and then you realize there are Mets fans in the world. And you're kind of like, I don't why got to, and there's, there's either defense protecting yourself from the Mets fans, or just, or reverse polarization. Maybe they know something we don't know. And there's, but there's a difference. There's a marked difference in there. You're either a Mets fan or you're not a Mets fan. And let's just... Thank goodness that we're not Mets fans. Then there's minimization. You say, you know what? We all like baseball. We all love baseball. And isn't it great that we all love, even though, even those they love baseball, they're at the game, right? And that's the minimization. And about 85% of us stay in those one of those three areas, the vast majority being in minimization. And then it takes something to develop into a balanced view and have high value, 
and respect for MassFit. But that's just sort of a head thing. Like we understand and we respect their ability and desire to appreciate the Mets. And it's not until the fifth and, and I assume smallest sliver of the population, but perhaps the highest developmental stage of adaptation, where we can actually get to a place within ourselves where we can wear a Mets gear and root for the Mets. Did I get that properly? properly you announced? did. Did you, you pick did. it up? did. Yeah, that was beautiful. Uh, using the uh, baseball metaphor. Um, that's it. I mean, an interesting and really important thing to, for us to know about this process is that as we go through each of those orientations, we are building the repertoire of how we can relate to others around us. So it's not about hopping from orient, one orientation to another, but as we go through them, we are really building the repertoire, the skills uh, to basically choose from in order to uh, most effectively engage with others around us. So that's what um, a, uh, taking a developmental approach means. We are building up our capacity along the way. I, um, it's funny, as, you, as we were going through them, I like, as you would describe them, different people in my life or in my world would, oh, they're in this stage. <laughs> and, then it, and then I was like, wait, where am I? Um, it's a really cool and really, it's a very beautiful and simple, like almost simple when you lay it out. Like how, and it's so, it's so clear. Um, and it brings me back to what you said before, like 85% are in the, those first three. Um, and I wonder what percent are actually doing something to take them out of those first three, consciously or unconsciously. Do you have any, do you have any idea of how many people stay in those first three in the, over the course of their lifetime? You can think of it as over the course of the lifetime. So, 80, so 85. So 85 ne- will always be in the first three. Yeah. If you, we don't do anything. Yeah, and then they show up with weird hats, suffer podcasts, and ask how they look. I'm right here. I can hear every word. I'm just right here. Um, let's, let's, I love this, and I so appreciate the work that you've done and how clearly and beautifully you can communicate it. But I also want to point to probably the biggest issue in, in your world these days, even as we live in such an incredible time in the area of social justice and, you know, sort of a racial reckoning with the racism and white supremacist culture and structures in this country. But you actually focus on intercultural competence and coaching. Mm -hmm. And this is something that has never been, I mean, has very little been discussed in the ICF. I remember standing up in 2006 at an ICF conference and saying, you know, uh, uh, I haven't heard the word diversity and I haven't heard anybody address that people in this room, which were mostly people of a certain age, mostly women and and extraordinarily white, you know, doesn't look like the rest of the world. So clearly coaching has developed, at least in in its first 20 years or so, in a very limited worldview. Is that fair or am I limited? I think that's fair. That's a fair observation uh, that Unfortunately, I share. Um, I came into the professional coaching world in 20, I mean, sorry, yeah, uh, 2004. Um, uh, Previous to that, I was in education. So since 2004, I've been talking about this topic everywhere I go. 
literally everywhere, <laughs> including ICF conferences. And I would say it is rather re more recent that I um, have come to encounter um, a lot of uh, fellow coaches, well, such as yourself, uh, who would really take up, uh, take interest up on this uh, topic and to say, you know, not just to say that's an important topic or interesting topic, but to say, you know, I want to learn more about this because that matters to me. That has something to do with me. You know, that's a rather uh, recent phenomenon that I'm observing, but I am very thankful. I mean, there's, uh, it's, it's better now than never. So I'm so appreciative uh, that uh, you are, you know, curious about this, this topic. And uh, Acto, um, you know, also was interested in hearing more about this and invited me to speak at their conference. So, I mean, I've been at this, you know, uh, advocacy, I guess, work of, you know, cultural competence in professional coaching since tw 2004, but it's, it's here now. You know, people are interested and uh, have listening ears to what I have to say, and I'm, I'm so thankful. And I, I, I would even go on to say that I would want the ICF, the largest professional coaching association, to include in a cultural competence as one of the core competencies. I mean, the core com competencies are changing as we speak, you know, going from 2020 to 2021 to a new set of them. Uh, and the new set of core competencies includes some cultural diversity language in it, uh, in, in terms of uh, cultural identities and things like that. So that's a big, big step forward. But that is not about intercultural competence. And I am going to continue to talk about this so that it will become a core competency. I know you have a, um, you actually like have a program and a course, right, that you, that you teach on this. I'd love to hear a little about like what people get when they take that, but also like why they would want to, why coaches mm -hmm. listening to this go, I want to, you know, how this is going to make a difference, not only in my life, but in my practice and in my business. Mm -hmm. um, I believe you're uh, referring to the program that I have offered called IIMC, Intercultural Institute for Master Coaches. Yeah. And I'm considering to change the name to Master Four Coaches just because, you know, when I called it uh, Master Coaches, people ha had this hes hesitation. Do I have to be an NCC to participate? It's, no, that's not what I meant. So anyways, it's called IIMC. And what the program uh, is about is for the uh, professional coaches, already practicing professional coaches to come together to learn about intercultural competence and related concepts and uh, frameworks and engage in together as a cohort, engage in a learning process to develop it. So developing intercultural competence as part of their coaching capacity to improve their coaching practice, you know, uh, their performance. So one uh, benefit, a big benefit uh, of the program is that I offer um, this IDI, Intercultural Development Inventory, as a learning tool, as part of the program. So what you do in the program is you uh, complete this assessment online, and I will gather that data from you and provide you with what's called the IDI Individual Profile Report and review that with you. And we use that information to uh, 
uh, guide how we discuss and reflect on the topic. So that's a learning tool as well as a tool to assess your readiness level to develop your intercultural competence. You know, the IDI, I mean, it, it, it's a uh, scientifically valid and reliable uh, psychometric in instrument. So it's, it, its uh, quality is very, very high, very sophisticated. What it does is just so intriguing. I didn't develop this, but I'm just so intrigued by this tool because it's so useful. I've been using this for more, over de two decades. Um, the data that provides, that provides you for you is the gap, the gap between where you perceive yourself to be operating. This is on that intercultural development continuum, the five stages and where you are actually operating. So this learning tool reveals this fundamental gap we have in us between how we aspirationally see ourselves and how we actually operate ourselves. And I've had some people ask me, you know, guys, isn't that kind of embarrassing to have a gap? And I always say, it is definitely not embarrassing because we want to have that gap. I mean, you're a coach too, you, you see what I mean? We want to see that gap so that we can see ourselves to be a growing, developing being. And if you think about it, you know, Alex, you said you were already talking about, you know, as you listened to me, you were talking, you, you were thinking about, you know, oh, where am I? <laughs> you know, which orientation am I operating? You know, for instance, I'm just going to come out and say this. If you felt, for example, um, you know, I do value diversity, so I must be in acceptance. If you felt that way, just as an example, your perceived orientation, your perception, right? Aspirational self-evaluation is probably in acceptance. But if you are to complete the assessment, the psychometric instrument, you will most likely, I don't know, I just met you, so I don't know. I, this is just an example. But the IDI result will likely show your actual developmental orientation to be in minimization. So one step before. So we want to develop our aspirational self-image, self-expectation a step ahead. We want to see the perception of ourselves to be more developed than where we actually are so that we can identify where that gap is. The needed gap, that's the growth mindset that we have fundamentally. We want to know where our gap is so that we can then, for the first time, effectively ask ourselves, what do I want to do with that now? What can I work on? What can I con uh, consider? What can I challenge myself with so that I can go from where I am to where we are, where I'm actually headed, then that become, becomes the learning opportunity for the first time in an informed way. So that's the kind of process we go through in uh, the ID, IIMC program. I love this so much because, you know, whether definitely this resonates for me about the anti-racism work, right? Because one of the things that I'm encountering is a white guy of a certain age with left-leaning, you know, uh, progressive social justice sensibilities is that, A, you know, there are a whole lot of people in the 
I think they're in the polarization level who are looking at me as something that I may, that I may represent, but may not be. But also, maybe more to your point, I realize that there's a starting place in these conversations about anti-racism. And then I kind of want them labeled. Like, remember when you were teaching your kids to read and there was like, this is a level one book, this is a level two book, right? I kind of want that for not only the racism work, but I'm hearing the opportunity of something like that for intercultural competence, right? Where you would have a clear place to start and then areas to develop along with clear paths forward. Now this IIMC is, sounds wonderful. Is it possible for us to get I know that you've got it, you've got the IIMC scheduled in 2021, is that right? When does it start? Correct. I don't have the dates announced yet, but um, uh, I've offered it a couple of times last, uh, this past year, and this year I uh, had to unfortunately cancel because of the uh, pandemic and uh, uh, other things. But um, I'm hoping to offer a couple of times in 2021 uh, in, in a probably virtual sitting. Um, yes. If Thank possible, you. in person, <laughs> maybe later in a year. Uh, and then I uh, also offer this program in Japanese for the Japanese-speaking audience as well, because I do coach in Japanese too. So I uh, offer IMC in Japanese uh, probably one more time uh, in the coming year as well. And the dates I, I haven't announced yet. Okay. Is it possible for us and coaches listening to do something with the IDI, the Intercultural Development Inventory, through you uh, before the IMC gets started? Is there a way to work with this material? Uh, was the question uh, if, uh, if you are able to take the IDI? What was the question again? Right. It sounds like it'd be very valuable. And while we're willing to wait for the IIMC, I wonder if there's a way we can access it or work with you or work with the IDI today. Um, yes and no. I do, uh, I do get inquiries sometimes from individual coaches uh, wanting to take it. But the thing about this is it's, it's, a, it's a learning tool, but it's not an intervention. So just by completing the IDI, just by taking it, does not help you. It does not um, develop your intercultural competence. So you have to take it in a learning context. That's why I always want to encourage you, uh, any coaches who are interested to, uh, I guess, wait to sign up for my IMC program so that you are taking it in a context of a learning environment where you are actually continuing to gain in, uh, needed knowledge and uh, skills to do something about it or something with it. You see, um, I, I use the IDEI with most of my client, organizational clients that I work with. You know, I do uh, corporate uh, training, corporate you know, consulting and uh, executive coaching, and I use the IDEI as a, uh, one of the primary tools for, uh, for these organizations. But it's, uh, I am not currently um, Able, able to uh, offer the service to you know individual coaches you know one by one so uh, unfortunately I would love for you to uh, access my uh, my company's website uh, interculturalist.com um, or reach out to me via you know social media that's possible that's fine too I'm on Facebook LinkedIn Twitter um, and then as soon as I decide on a date uh, for the uh, coming programs, uh, you can sign up. They have two seats for Alex and me. We'll be there. The, uh, well, the well, website, hang on one second. Go ahead. 
I ju- I'm sorry, I just want to emphasize the website, and then it's back to you, Mr. Uh, Interculturalist. And my minimization says that everyone is a bad speller. So it's I-N-T-R-C-U-L-T-U-R-A-L-I-S-T.com. For those Correct. of you. Correct. <laughs> Thanks, Alex. I, you know, we, we came out of the gates with some hard hitting questions. And as we get towards the end, I'm going to have to hit you with another one. Cause the whole time I'm like, when is this going to be a book? When is, you know, when am I going to be able to read this and have it on my shelf and write all over it and, um, you know, absorb it like from that medium? Oh my gosh. You are hitting me with that, aren't you? <laughs> um, it's actually... written. Um, (laughs) Oh my gosh. Uh, I was just about uh, getting ready to, you know, run through, finalize it. And then the pandemic hit and then the um, uh, death of George Floyd hit. So I can't let the book out without adding a statement or two in there. And I haven't gotten back to the book yet but the book is going to be around the gap that I talked about. The gap, the gap that we normally don't see, but is fundamentally there as human nature. And I want to communicate that, that, that this gap is the greatest potential we have for growth. So yeah, the book forthcoming. <laughs> um, my hope is to get back to uh, finalizing the manuscript um, in the next hopefully five, six months. Um, we'll see. Oh my gosh. Thank you for asking. And uh, you are really, um, giving me a good nudge to me. So it's coming. Awesome. Where you at Christopher? Where, where do we want to give her a uh, soapbox to stand on? I I think so. I think we've come to the time, unless you want to tell us your favorite color, uh, (laughs) in which we will, uh, invite you, we'll give you a couple of minutes to share anything you'd like to, or to make your plea or call or uh, call to action. As Alex said, it's sort of a soapbox moment. We invite you to create a parting thought or a parting shot. What would you like to say to a few thousand coaches? Oh, wow. Um, the first thing that came to mind as uh, my parting thought is if you are a coach right now and possibly having some struggling thoughts because of the pandemic or because of the heightened focus on racism in our society. Um, This is my, I guess, message. People, because uh, even before the pandemic and all that, uh, people sometimes ask me, what comes after adaptation? Going back to the continuum, what do you see? What kind of world do you see beyond adaptation? And that question, uh, which by the way, I try to answer in the book, <laughs> uh, stayed with me for a long time and it's still ongoing as a question. But the best tentative response to that that I have right now is this place of grace. That's the best way I can describe it. This world of grace. And what does that look like to me is many things, one of which is humility and forgiveness. And these qualities I feel are so particularly important right now, like right now in 2020 for all of us, because we have to be able to 
see each other in humility and forgive. Forgive for imperfection, forgive for mistakes, forgive for unintended hurt, and then do that forgiving for each other and for ourselves. I, Christopher, do you identify as a white male? I really do, on good days and bad days. <laughs> I've met a lot of colleagues and friends and neighbors who, are, who identify as white male and female, and have heard many struggles trying to find a place in society right now. They told me they feel bad, that they feel helpless, that they feel that they shouldn't uh, insert their opinions, that they feel that they are guilty. This is due to the uh, heightened racism conversations. And I say, you know, do we forgive? Can we forgive each other? Because we all make mistakes. And we all feel bad for imperfections. But if we are not able to forgive those things for ourselves, we're certainly not going to be able to do that for others. And we're helpless in some ways. We're all helpless in some ways. So if you are a coach and white and in a dominant group, for example, should you be feeling helpless? Well, maybe if you feel that way, maybe you do feel that way, but we have to still have humility in us and towards us so that we can be empowered in the midst of feeling helpless. And that sense of humility and forgiveness towards others and towards us, I think that is uh, so, so much needed right now. And uh, I think that will help us move towards this place that I imagine to be a place of grace. Um, that's, that's the thought that came to mind. A beautiful one. What a wonderful reminder for not only for us to bring grace, but the pathway is humility and forgiveness. Thank you so much. That brilliance is from Dr. Akiko Maker. She's the founder and principal of interculturalist.com. That's I-N-T-E-R-C-U-L. T-U-R-A-L-I-S-T.com. Uh, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for your important work. Thanks for sharing with us today and being so generous with you. Thank Alex, you, any, Thank you. Alex, any last uh, final notes for... I'm, I'm a little upset that I, you know, I was categorized as not being my aspirational self earlier, but, um, you know, it's okay. I'm, I'm, you know what? I'm this is perfect, right now to get over perfect it. example for humility and forgiveness right there. Yeah. Perfect. Opportunity. That's thank you. Yeah. I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you both. <laughs> Thanks for being here. I feel like I learned a lot and um, it was really, it was just really interesting and I'm excited for that book. And that is the voice of Alex Terranova. You can find him at thedreammason.com uh, or just go get a copy of his book. I see you're lording over us. The fact that you're the only author, the published author here. Uh, fictional authenticity available wherever fine podcasts are available and um, take the authenticity audit if you feel like it you can find out more by going to thatdreammason.com my name is Christopher McAuliffe and this has been another edition of the coaching show I thank you dear listener for joining us each and every week bringing you people that you need to know about doing important work or just plain interesting quotes here uh, for over 18 years thanks for listening you can find us on Accomplishment Media or wherever fine podcasts are available I thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next week. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to The Coaching Show. We will talk to you next week.